This is Mark Fletcher, and welcome to my world. Welcome to Southern Tales, Tall and Otherwise. This week, we're going to slide outside the white lines for just a second. We're going to talk about some other stories and situations that set up some of the future stories and situations and craziness and all the good times and wild times, bad times and other times we want to forget and sometimes we have forgotten, but we still have these stories. So... I guess the point is, this episode might not be quite as linear as the others. Uh, Sit back and enjoy. So, I guess I want to start off by just saying, you know, growing up in my family was tough. Maybe growing up in every family was tough, but I always had the feeling that mine was a little tougher than others, and that could be right or wrong. But, you know, you can judge that for yourself. Um, don't, Don't get me wrong. I'm pretty proud of my heritage and most of my family. I say most because, as all of you know, Every family is a bit dysfunctional, some more than others. And ours was not any different. I'm going to try and avoid most of that dysfunctionality, but eventually the day will come when we really need an interesting episode. And let's face it, what's more interesting than dysfunctionality? I mean, think about reality TV. So why was it tough and I, I think it's probably because my dad grew up poor, or at least he said that, and it seemed like that was probably true, uh, during the Depression. And I don't think, you know, they had a, a, a whole lot. I, his was tough because he lived in a tough neighborhood. It was a poor neighborhood. And a lot of the reasons was because his father was kind of a road dog. I mean, I think his father liked bad groceries at the local at the corner store. Um, but whenever he got a chance, he was going to go off to uh, gamble on the horses or throw the dice or whatever it may be that was the popular way to uh, lose money those days. Um, and, and so life was tough on those rambler gambler types and their families. And But when I was a little kid, I had brothers who were much older than me. I think like the oldest was 16 years older than me. And, and you know, I had two older and even had an older sister. And all of them, I think, could make me cry whenever they, they wanted. And I remember one day I was like, I might have been crying a tear or something. I'm five or six or seven or something. And I asked Pop, I said, hey, why why couldn't I be as funny as them? You know, um, what 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 is it about them that's so special that they can be funny and tell jokes and everybody laughs at them and... and 
He told me, he said, listen, one day you will. You know, you just got to experience life, and, and that'll do it for you, and you'll be just like them. Uh, and he was pretty right about that. But let me tell you, kids in my family rarely got a break. Oh, my older sister was tough, too. She was four years older, uh, but she was pretty street smart. I can remember she always referred to me as toots. I'm not sure if that was good or bad, um, but you had to be street smart in my family, and and she had no pity on me. I remember that time we were fishing at Number One Pond, which if you listen to the Tony episode, you know I'd never caught a fish there. Well, everybody caught a fish, including her. And of course, I didn't. I, I'm seven, right? Uh, so I, maybe I wasn't expected, but in my family, you were supposed you were supposed to be successful. She was street smart. I remember one time we were at the laundromat. Um, this is before everybody had a washing machine in their house. And, but in this laundromat, they had one of those Tom's candy machines, you know, where you put a quarter in it and you pull the knob and, 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 and a brownie would pop out. And, man, I love those brownies. And, and so I was there and I wanted a brownie, but a quarter was hard to come by. Well, sis had the answer. She said, watch this. She grabbed a metal hanger and drug it underneath a bunch of the washing machines. Eventually, she pulled out some change. She told me, she said, listen, think about it. Whenever somebody drops a quarter in here and it rolls underneath the machine, what are they going to do? They rarely get on their hands and knees to try to get their hands underneath those machines to grab, you know, a dime or a quarter or whatever. And to me, it seemed like a gold mine. Every time I drive by a laundromat, even today, I have the urge to stop. You know, um, I, I I resist. Trust me, I, I don't do that. But I talk about the family. I mean, think about my cousin Rick. Okay, there was a time on a family vacation, stopped at a rest stop. Now this is the seventies, right? And and back in those days, in the men's room. Uh, there was this gadget at the counter for shoe shining. And it had like two rotating brushes on each side of the machine at floor level. One was red and one was black. I have no idea why the colors. But in the middle, there was a rod that extended up maybe three foot up towards the wash counter. And on top of that rod was a silver button. And you would put your foot underneath one of the brushes and push the silver button and the brushes would spin. You know, and voila, you got shiny shoes. Well, we all went to the bathroom, and Rick, you know, he kind of just thought he'd play. And so there's Rick underneath the wash counter messing with the hoses or the water lines or drains or whatever. And then he saw this shoe shiner. So I guess somewhere there's some way at the bottom you can turn it on, too, and he's down there messing with it, making it spin and whatnot. Well, this old man was standing there by the thing, and Rick was turning the thing, and somehow or another, the man's shoes were untied or got untied. And the shoe shiner took the man's shoestrings and wrapped it around there about 1,900 times. So this man, his shoes are stuck to the shoe shine machine in a rest area bathroom along some interstate. Well, he's not happy. Rick don't know what to do. Rick's frantically trying to figure out what to do. And so then uh, his father, Art walks by, sees the man who is at this, by this time is like starting to cuss Rick pretty bad. I mean, calling him some awful names and being really mean to Rick. 
But again, you got to think about it. This guy's probably in a hurry and his shoe is tied to a shoe shine machine. <laughs> well, Rick's dad looks at it and walks right out of the bathroom, goes to the car. About 10 minutes later after, well, who knew what happened, but I'm pretty sure the man probably had to cut his shoestrings. Rick comes to the car, all beat up. I mean, really, really beat up. And he's crying. He asks his dad, he says, hey, why didn't you help me there? You got your ass into that, you can get your ass out. That was pretty typical of my family. I mean, and listen, we weren't angels either. I mean, I, I tried to be, but I guess I didn't get enough Jesus in school. Um, but me and Tony, we would find cigarettes and, hey, we would smoke. I don't even think we inhaled much, but we would smoke. It was cool, right? We felt like the popular kids for just a moment. Um, one, We used to go to the Saturday matinee in town. Every week, our parents would drop us off. And one time, um, we got caught smoking in the theater at the Saturday matinee. I have no idea. It was some Western or something. Who knows what was on? Um, thank God. It was his dad who came down the police station and picked us up. I mean, my dad, he lit us up. And as far as I know, my dad never found out about that situation. Um, there was this time that, that me and Tony were camping with Ricky Clayton. So we were out at Pond Lake. It was our favorite camping place. We had a tent. But, of course, it has to rain. It's raining really hard. Um, so instead of being outside, running around the lake, or whatever you might do at a, camp, at a three-day camp out, we're in a tent smoking. And after a while, um, someone said they smelled something, like maybe gas. So it turned out that Ricky had a kerosene lamp that had gotten kicked over and had soaked up all the sleeping bags. And we were all sitting in kerosene while we were smoking in the tent. Talk about spontaneous combustion. We was lucky that day. Uh, and then, you know, again, getting back to tough and being in the family. You know, listen, you dreaded, you dreaded trips, especially long trips with Pop. You see, back in those days, at least in my family, men farted in public. It wasn't no big deal. I can remember trips where my mom would literally turn green in the front seat from the awful gas attacks. And there were many times when rolling down the window was not an option. And the only thing he would say if someone complained was, wasn't me. My farts smell like roses. Pretty sure that wasn't true. I mean, it must have been hell sleeping with him. And, and, and my older brothers knew this all too well. Um, they had experienced it themselves. They, back in the 60s and early 70s, my older brothers and my father used to have a little race team. And they would, take their, they would tote their race car all over the southeast. And they would start off racing the fairgrounds at Nashville, which is where I met Marty Robbins when I was six, which was pretty damn cool, if I can say this for sure. Um, anyway... One time they were toting their race car up through the mountains of East Tennessee somewhere, and this is before Interstate, and it, it's, a, it's a pretty long climb. Um, long drive, I guess they were going to Maryville or Bristol or somewhere, who knows. But my mom used to make them sandwiches and, and stuff because they acted like gypsies when they were on the road. They would have chicken and, and, like I say, sandwiches and snacks. All came from home because there wasn't enough extra money to stop and have no fancy meal. But they're driving this time, and, well... 
there, pull out the sandwiches, and, and I guess my I have a brother driving, and Pop is sitting in the middle, and their friend Harry Smith was with them. More on Harry Smith later. And so they all pulled out the sandwiches, and they're driving up the mountain or whatever, and right when they get the sandwiches open, Pop farts. Listen, it's not pleasant. Harry has his sandwich in his hand. He looks at the sandwich. He looks at my dad. He looks at the sandwich. He looks at my dad and then chunks the sandwich out the window. That's how bad it was. But being tough also meant being smart. Some folks thought they had the market cornered on smart. My older brothers were always just a bit smarter. I think mostly because they learned from what they saw and experienced. One time, one of my brothers took a trip to Atlanta with a co-worker. Now, this co-worker had made this trip many times, and he was busy teaching my brother the ropes, as he called it. His name was Steve, Steve Begru, I think, and Steve was pretty smart, but he wasn't as smart as my brother. But anyway, my brother's pretty quiet and listening to him and whatnot, and so they're staying at this motel, kind of bad part of town in Atlanta. I don't know if there's a good part of Atlanta at those days, but so... They walked out of the room to the Coke machine. Steve said, listen, watch me. I'm going to show you how this is done. You see that little neighborhood kid down there peeking around the corner? He's waiting for me or someone to put money in that Coke machine. When I start to hit the button, you watch. He's going to start running, and before I can bend down, he's going to grab that Coke and run. Watch the master. I'm going to grab that can with both hands before he gets here. Sure enough, when Steve started to push the button, the kid started running towards him, just like Steve had predicted. Steve bent over quickly and put both his hands over the Coke. The kid didn't slow down. He ran behind Steve, grabbed the wallet out of his back pocket, and disappeared. My brother then thanked Steve and congratulated him on saving that Coke from the kid. Smart, right? Now... Steve really wasn't that smart. <laughs> One time, he was cheating on his wife. So he took his girlfriend to the darkest, most hidden Italian restaurant in Nashville. You know, something like Guido's or something. And he asked, like, for the, the darkest, backest part corner of the restaurant that they could possibly get into. So him and his girlfriend were back in the back in the dark part. I don't know. They were touching noses and God knows what else. When suddenly... A bunch of bright lights hit them. Scared the crap out of him. But the restaurant was filming a commercial. <laughs> they were going to give him a free meal and some other stuff for appearing in their commercial. But in the end, Steve wound up slipping the producer $100 to cut him out of the commercial. <laughs> okay, okay. But, but then there's words. And I, there were a lot of words and phrases that my dad used when I was a little kid that they, weren't only, they were not only foreign to me, they sounded absolutely exotic. Eventually, we'll hear them all. But for, day, for today, the word is couth. And, and he used that word a lot. And the truth is, I never knew what the hell couth was. Just some word that my dad used. And he did love that word. And while he used it to describe various people, he mostly used it to describe my mom, and most of her family. So, though I never knew what Cooth was, the only thing I knew was that neither my mom nor her family had any. And my impression was it was a bad thing. I often wondered if I had any Cooth. I still wonder to this day.
This episode was sponsored by the number one children's book for adults with 24 original watercolor paintings by the very best artist and illustrator from England and a story that will mean something to both children and adults. You can search for it on Amazon. It's called Headley Say Outsmarts the World. Headley Outsmarts the World. And there'll be a link to it on our webpage at broadneckmusic.com where you can also go for liner notes this episode and all episodes of the Southern Tales podcast. Please go and you will find more depth, answers to your questions, and maybe some, not maybe, you'll definitely find out about our kick-ass theme music from T.R. Crooks, that little band from Paris, Tennessee, recorded back in 77. Our contact email address is stalespodcast at gmail.com. Send me your questions, send me your stories. Maybe if we get enough interesting stuff, we'll have uh, some Southern tales of your very own stuff and the answers to your questions. Once again, thanks for listening. And you know what? Tell a friend about all the fun we're having on Southern Tales. <laughs>